Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Kuehl Podcast. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl, and we have ourselves another special episode lined up for you here today. Thursday, May the 16th, we have the Memorial Cup starting this weekend. It'll start tomorrow night, and it'll be another amazing tournament, the 101st edition. However, before we get to that, we need to address something here. So... Yes, I know this is supposed to be a junior podcast episode. I'm supposed to talk the Memorial Cup and the big tournament and the great set it's going to be in there in Halifax. But we need to talk something here, fan to fan, heart to heart. We need to talk here. Last night, St. Louis and San Jose in game three. Big game, back and forth, the way it goes. Sharks jump out in front, Blues come back, take the lead. Layla Anderson's in the building, crowd's going nuts for her. Everyone's ready to sing Gloria because they're up 4-3 late. Missed the empty net, and the Sharks tie it up. Darn it. By the way, my brother and I, if you guys remember from our show on Tuesday, we were talking about how Joe Thornton needed to work harder and be tougher in the corners because his speed won't help. Well, guess what? He won the puck battle after losing the draw, gets the point, and they end up scoring. But let's go into overtime here, shall we? Oh, yeah, we're talking about it. We're getting into it. Just a few minutes into overtime. Jordan Bennington makes a great save just before that. Puck's in the zone. Blues look to clear. They can't, but the puck gets in. And Timo Meyer somehow gets the puck near him. He falls down and knocks the puck towards the slot. It gets moved over to Carlson, who beats Bennington. Five hole, and the Sharks win the game in overtime and take a 2-1 series. Now, wait a what? Let's watch that replay again. You know, I don't know if it was 93 or 94, what year it was. But the Winnipeg Jets won game, beat the Chicago Blackhawks, the Daryl Sutter coach, Ed Belfort, Jeremy Roenick-led Blackhawks, in overtime from a goal that was blatantly a hand pass because the guy caught the puck behind the net. You guys can look it up on YouTube. Look up Winnipeg Jets' glove goal. Catches the puck and really just chucks it into the net. More or less, he kind of tucked it around because he was behind the net. But nonetheless, with a glove. They counted as a goal. That was... 25 years ago, over 25 years ago, today, with all the technology that the NHL has, that we have as human, remember the All-Star game when they did all that technology with the player tracking and speed tracking, check on your phone? Well, people can look up the videos and stuff like that and replay it 100 times of everything that happens live almost. And yet, four officials, I don't care what the rule is, four officials... Dan O'Rourke and Marginette were the officials. Dan O'Rourke, veteran in this league, called a game or two, refed a game or two, excuse me, but he's done a pretty good job, I'd like to say. I'd like to think so. But yet, here we are, talking about it, talking about how they blatantly blew a call. Let's go to rule 79.1, the hand pass rule. A player shall be permitted to stop or, quote, bat a puck in the air with his open hand or push it along the ice with his hand, and the play shall not be stopped unless, in the opinion of the on-ice officials, he has directed the puck to a teammate or has allowed his team to gain an advantage and subsequently possession and control of the puck is obtained by a player of the offending team either directly or deflected off any player or official. That is the rule. Meyer bats the puck out of the air. Bat, quote, bat. Remember the rule. Bats over to Nyquist. 
taps it over to Carlson, one times it in. That's a hand pass. That is a hand pass. That's a rule. It's a rule in the rule book. I just read it. Thank you at scouting the refs for that one. This is Bush League. Now, yes, Buffalo fans are going to get a little butthurt when I say this, but this is probably the worst officiated postseason in the history of the NHL playoffs, of recorded history, of where we have video of each and every game. There are probably some bad calls we missed before, but like the Brett Hall goal, that's why I said Buffalo, because, hey, they got screwed out of the cup, even though the the quote-unquote memo was sent out or ended up in Buffalo spam folder. I don't know what happened with that, but my point is of how poor the officiating has been. I'm doing a good job not swearing right now because I got a lot of things I can say right now about the NHL. We talked about players. Now, this isn't just when Charlie McAvoy brained a guy and they only gave him two minutes. This isn't when Joe Pavelski got knocked over and got his head cracked open, but they called a cross-checking major because somehow Cody Eakin, who's what, six foot something, 167 pounds? I don't know. He doesn't. He's not that big of a butt. He's not strong enough to trip, take a guy by himself with a cross-check. That gets called. That's one thing. Yes, it ended up costing the Knights that game. Yes, that McAvoy hit with Anderson, that could have changed his game, and it cost Blue Jackets an opportunity to force in a Game 7. I don't know how the Sharks keep getting break after break. I tweeted this out at TJKU29. I tweeted this out saying that with when the Sharks play the Bruins in the finals, because guess what? At this point, it's going to happen. Who are the refs going to cheer for? Because obviously the Bruins, and I mean, last in game three, that was a different story. Tuka Rask played amazing. I'm not going to give anything against the refs in that game. In that game. But my point is, who are they going to cheer for? Because the way it's gone over these playoffs, the Bruins and the Sharks have gotten break after 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 break. Sorry, I'm checking my watch here to see how many breaks it's been because they've gotten a lot of opportunities here to get away with a lot of stupid stuff. Bruins, obviously, is because they're a dirty hockey team. I'm not afraid to say that. I'll say it right to their face. I'll go right up to Brad Marchand, and I'll have to you know, kneel down to say it to him, but I'll have to say it nonetheless. But the Sharks have just gotten break because of just bad officiating. They're not a dirty team. They didn't do anything dumb. I don't get it. How many times can you miss? There were four refs, and Jordan Bennington, who of all people, got... A little animated. Got a little frazzled. A little rattled. He never gets that. He's never that way. He's always calm, cool demeanor. All right, allowed six goals. We'll come back and play better in game two. He did that. All right, we're going back home, whatever, game three. But then an overtime goal goes against him with a hand pass, a blatant rule violation. Yeah, I'd be a little mad too. If I was Bennington, I'd been kicked out of the league because I would have gone barreling in there like a bowling ball after the four refs when they're sitting in front of the Zamboni door. Are you kidding me? The fact that Braden Shen didn't break his stick over one of the guy's heads is amazing. I w- Listen, there's no fathomable reason that these guys are going to be in, in called to do the Stanley Cup Finals. It's probably going to be Wes McCall and Kelly Sutherland just because of the fact that they're two veteran refs. I don't know why you'd pick anyone else to do the series because the rest of the refs, I mean, yes, I know Wes McCauley was there for the McAvoy hit, but are there any other refs that can do the job properly? This is embarrassing. The NHL is making the NBA look like they have a great officiating staff. And that says a lot, too, for you basketball fans. 
The NFL looks like they're doing a great job. College football has probably got it best, which is dumb to say because they're horrible. Heck, the guys in the NFC Championship game that blew the Saints, man, they look like they called a pretty solid, straightforward game compared to these refs. It's pathetic. I hope San Jose comes out better in Game 4. They'll probably will. They'll probably do everything they can to make sure they don't let it get in their heads, but this could be the turning point, and now St. Louis could easily win two more games and the series is over. The Gloria run for the Bru- for the Blues is done. We're going to see a dumb series between San Jose and Boston. Nobody's going to want to watch it. I mean, we will because we have to, because we have to report on it. But I'm not excited for it. Because there's going to be one cheap team against one lucky team, and it's going to be boring to watch. I'm not going to enjoy it. What's the story? Oh, yeah, Jumbo Joe for San Jose. That's it. That's all you cheer for. And beat his former team, too. You can't, I mean, like we talked about in the last episode, who's really cheering for Boston? I wouldn't. I'm not. I'll be honest. Yes. Are you supposed to be an unbiased professional? Yes. When it comes to analyzing the play, yes. But when it comes to Boston personally, I don't I don't care if they win. They're probably going to win tonight against Carolina and their season. The Cinderella storm surge will be done. But that's that. Because of the officials is why the Sharks and the Bruins will be able to get their way and get to the finals. And it's going to be the most confusing series ever because the refs won't know who to cheer for. <sighs> All right, enough of that rant. Let's talk about the meat and potatoes of this episode. The Memorial Cup, the 101st Memorial Cup, is getting set to take place this weekend. The next nine days will be an exciting display of junior hockey across the CHL as we have four teams coming down to Halifax. Of course, we, the host Mooseheads hosting for the second time in their history. We'll get to them. Got the OHL champ, the Guelph Storm, Cinderella story. We'll get to them. Prince Albert Raiders of the Western Hockey League, a team that's been great all season despite never being to the finals in 20, excuse me, 34 years. We'll get to them. But we're going to lead off with the QMJHL champion, the President's Cup champion, the Royan Naranda Huskies. A team that really, really hasn't been impressive all season long. We said it before, and we'll say it again. The team with the most points in the CHL, a team that had some struggles in the first round series, but then able to walk their way through the next two to get to the finals, and then went up against a Halifax team. Like I said, we'll talk about them later. That really put up a good fight. Huskies had to win the series in six, but they got the job done. And don't forget, this is this is only the second Presidents Cup the Huskies have won, so it'll be their second Memorial Cup. Their last Memorial Cup. You guys remember was back in 2016. May 29th, 2016 was the last time they were in the Memorial Cup. Roy and Naranda met the London Knights in the championship game. And the Huskies were up with just under five minutes to play. It was a battle back and forth. But then a goal by Christian Dvorak tied the game up. They went to overtime. Matthew Kachuk with the winner. And the London Knights win their second Memorial Cup. Three players were on that team. Jacob Naveau, Peter Abandonado, and Samuel Harvey. Now, yes, Samuel Harvey was backing up then as he was backing up Chase Marchand that year, who was a really, really big piece of that team. So you have three guys. Now, yes, Abandonado was a rookie. Naveau was actually in his second year. Naveau is, of course, a very heavy defensive defenseman. Abandonado was just a guy that, let's be honest, except for this year, has not 
put up the most impressive numbers, but he could easily get an opportunity coming out of camp here, or excuse me, next season's training camp. He'll probably get a look at by some NHL club the way he's done here in his overage season. Of course, the coach, Julius Bouchard, was behind the bench as well. So there's, there is a slight core. The core of this year's team remembers that loss. Now, yes, Samuel Harvey didn't play, and Abidinato was not a big factor on that squad, but there is still that little bit of fire of knowing how it happened and knowing that they were so close to winning the Memorial Cup. That's got to burn in their minds a little bit. It's definitely... Definitely tough to go back, and now you know that you're going in there and you are a favorite. Remember, the Huskies, they were a good team that year, but not many were picking them against the London Knights team. Remember, that team had Mitch Marner. We talked about Christian Dvorak, Matthew Kachuk. I mean, that team was dominant and skilled, and that team was supposed to win that tournament, which they did, so obviously, you know, fulfilling the fate, but the Huskies were oh so close. So this year, they're going to look to reverse that and flip the script. And really talking about Abdonato, we talked about how good he's been this year. We talked about how effective he's been as a playmaker. Remember, 82 assists during the regular season. He's been on fire this year. And that does come with experience. Granted, yes, when you're an overage player, you hopefully you have a good year in your last year because, well, you've been in the league now. And like I guess Abdonato's rookie year, 2015-2016. This is his fourth year with the Huskies. So he should... He should know how to play this game. And like we've seen this season, he knows. And he's been at the forefront of veteran presence on and off the ice. That's important. You know what? He missed that. Remember that conference finals with Mono? Missed game one of the Halifax series in the finals. However, still didn't do too bad. He scored six points in five games in the series. And let's be honest, guys. The fact that he came back at all in that conference. I mean, they only came back in the finals because, well, it's the finals. Now, yes, the Huskies automatically clinched a spot just because they made it to the finals against the host team. But Abandonado wanted to play some games because you don't want to go in the Memorial Cup cold and not having played in a while because that that could cost you. That's why when you see host teams that get knocked out in the first round, some teams can't handle that. Now, yes, last year Regina did that. They got knocked out early by Swift Current, but came in and made it all the way to the finals against Bathurst. But that's going to be a big point for Abandonado coming in the having a little bit of a week off almost before their first game which will be Saturday having that rest period getting getting 100% having him healthy is going to be important here for the Huskies in this tournament but of course when Abandonado was down and of course the big goal scorer for the Huskies was Joel Teasdale the Montreal prospect was outstanding coming over from Blainville Bobby and at the trade deadline was a big move by the Huskies because they knew that this team had a chance. It wasn't guaranteed, of course, but they were up there in the standings. They wanted to bolster their offense, add some depth to it because you can't just have Abdenado all by himself. Now, yes, there are pieces around like Felix Bevo around. We'll get to them and, and like Raf, Raphael Harvey Pinar was another guy, but we'll get to them as well. But having Teasdale there, having his experience as well, he's become a real big time player. He led the QMJ, the QMJHL in playoff scoring with 34 points. And he scored nine points in that series against Ramuski and eight points against the Mooseheads. Remember, nine points without the help of Abernanato and eight points against a Halifax team that defensively has been very stagnant despite that first round scare against Quebec. They've been very good, have the Mooseheads been, and they really made it tough for Teasdale in the offense, but they were able to fight through it and get the big goals. Teasdale, of course, at the forefront of that. 
the biggest thing for Teasdale has been his consistency. Now, yes, he's got a very quick release, very good hands, but his play in the big moments of these playoffs when he's needed to be, when they've needed a goal, when they've needed a big play offensively, he's been there. He's been able to step up, and that just shows how he's a big-time player. I mean, Montreal, we're going to talk about Nick Suzuki later on the show. Montreal's got some good good talent waiting in the wings here, especially in the, here in this tournament. But, of course, you can't just have one guy scoring. Joel Teasdale being one, Abinow setting up as the other. But we a little bit talked about there for a second about Felix Bebo. He finished second in team scoring in the playoffs with 29 points. Had a seven-game goal streak that carried from the second-round series against Victoriaville all the way until game two of the finals. Now, yes, that included the sweep against Ramuski. So, yes, the the series length could be a little bit skewed in terms of result. But still, a seven-game goal streak, even during the regular season, deserves some praise because it's easy an opportunity. You don't get the puck on your stick. You don't, don't feel it one night. Getting seven games, especially in the playoffs, where all the defense just tries to bunker down and not allow any scoring chances, that's big for him to fight through it. And he's had 10 goals in that stretch as well. So it wasn't like he was just tipping one in, tipping one here, tipping one there. He's scoring a couple goals, had a couple multi-goal games. So he's going to be a big piece for this Huskies team in this tournament. Like we talked about a little bit, Raphael Harvey-Pinard as well. He had 85 points in the regular season, which was a career high. Then he scored 27 points in the playoffs and a team leading 14 points in the finals. He had three separate three-point games in the series and had a hat-trick in game five against the Mooseheads. That's a... You know what? You talk about guys that aren't necessarily the big guns stepping up. That's how these playoffs work, and it's how it's going to work in this tournament as well. You're going to have guys that may not be on the scouting sheet. They may be say, ah, watch out for the third line. They are a little tougher. Having those guys that aren't looked upon as often step up in the big moments like that, that's huge for a team. And that's what the strength, that's one of the strengths that this Husky teams have going into this tournament. But of course, it's not all up front either. It's the defense. Justin Bergeron. From the blue line, he's been solid at both ends of the rink. He had a plus-minus of 28, which was tied for first among all players in the QMJHL playoffs. We'll kind of get to the guy he tied with in a second, but Bergeron looked really well. He had 20 points in 19 games during the playoffs, point-of-game defenseman, which is tough at times in the junior ranks. I mean, sometimes you'll have guys that you'll have one defenseman that's able to put up 60 points in a season or 70 points, be around a point of game player, but you don't have a whole lot. But Bergeron, of course, arguably is not the number one defenseman. Now, if you ask Bergeron, I don't know if he'll agree with that or disagree, but probably up and through December he was. However, a guy at the Huskies acquired, we, I wrote about this on Puck 77, Noah Dobson. Last year, Memorial Cup champion with Bathurst and traded over during the World Junior Championship. Well, it was made official after, but it, it happened during the World Juniors, but nobody said anything because that's supposed to be the no-no zone. But the agreement was made during the World Junior Championship to send him from Bathurst to Ryan Aranda. And he, he was a little slow to start off. Didn't put up the biggest numbers, but he able to, he was able to pick it up towards the latter end of the regular season. And in the playoffs, he has been outstanding. 29 points in the postseason, which leads all defensemen. Nine points against Halifax in the finals, plus 28, which, yes, he's the guy that's tied with Justin Bergeron for plus-minus in the QMJHL, and was given 
playoff MVP award, playoff MVP honors in the QMJHL playoffs after the Huskies won the President's Cup for the second time. And I remember I talked to Dobson when he was in Bathurst. When I remember we had the interview before the CHL Russia Super Series, or pardon me, CIBC Canada Russia Series, pardon me, the name was a little off, but he, you could tell he was defeated. He was not happy on the team he was on, not the greatest year. He's playing a much more rejuvenated game, but that's what happens when you play on a better team, though. No offense to anyone, any Teton fans or any players from Teton, but having them, having just playing on a better team and knowing he's going to go out with a bang, because there's no question that Dobson's not going to get an honest shot next year with Islanders defense, especially with the decor that they have now. I mean, maybe a little tough. He may not be, he may only be a third pairing guy. But, hey, he's got a lot of talent. He could bring a lot to the Islanders next season, despite Barry Trotz's system working efficiently this year for the Brooklyn slash Islanders, Brooklyn slash New York Islanders, whatever you want to call them. Dobson's been big, and he deservedly so, obviously getting the honors he deserves. But, of course, on defense, you can never have a good defense without a good goaltender. I don't care what anyone says about Chris Osgood because he was a great goaltender when he won at the Wings. Sorry, random tangent. I was triggered there for a second, but Samuel Harvey, you could not make a case for him not being the best goaltender in the QMJHL. There is no better goaltender. Love Alexis Gravel, played well for the Mooseheads, but Harvey from day one until now has been the guy. 100%. The Alma Quebec native has been outstanding from the regular season and into the playoffs. Now, yes, he gave up 17 goals in this series against the Mooseheads. But the Mooseheads have a, they have probably the best, deepest offense that the Huskies have played all, turn, all playoffs long. Granted, away from Ramuski, but Ramuski really has Alexis Lafreniere and a couple other guys. The Mooseheads, as we'll talk about them later, have a much more deeper offense. And he played, he had played some big saves. He made some big stops in that series. Had a pair of shutouts to boot. Gave up 40 goals in the 20 games in the postseason. He has... 1.97 goals against average and 9.24 save percentage were towards the top. One point, the goals against average was the best of all QMJHL goaltenders. His 9.24 was second best. But in terms of how good he's been consistently from day one until now, from September until here in mid-May, there is no better goaltender in the QMJHL. He's given an honest, he should be an honest candidate for CHL goaltender of the year. And had not Dobson had played phenomenal in that series, he may have been the president's, may have been the QMJHL playoff MVP. I wouldn't deny it. He played out, he's, like, listen, I know the Huskies are a great team up and down, but a bad goaltender could really ruin a team. Harvey has been an outstanding goaltender. He's earned the right to be considered a top goaltender. And that's what's been for the Huskies this year. It starts in their goaltender out. Harvey plays well. The defense looks good, the defense scores, and the offense gets the job done in spades. So, a lot to look forward to here for the Huskies. Obviously, they know what it's like to play in Halifax because, heck, they just did it for a seven-game or six-game series, mind that. So, they, And they won two of the three games in that series against Halifax, in Halifax. So, they have that going for them in terms of familiarity with the barn. So, they could be a pretty formidable opponent. Now, another formidable opponent going over the WHL were the Prince Albert Raiders. The Raiders are an incredible story in the fact that they have not been good for a long, 
long time. I believe, I'll have to check my stats once again, I think it's they've only made it to the Eastern Conference Finals of the WHL three times since the 1985 WHL Championship season, where that same Raiders team went on to win the Memorial Cup over the Schwinnigan Cataracts, if you could believe it. But that's just how junior hockey works. The team has struggled at some points throughout their franchise's history. They've had a couple teams that made the playoffs, been competitive, but not really necessarily a team that's a contender until this season. They have been a juggernaut, if you will, for the majority of the year. They start out 26-1 through the month of December. Now, yes, that when Ian Scott and Brett Leeson went to the World Junior Team to represent Team Canada, the team kind of slowed down a little bit. Didn't have the most extraordinary year. They had an opportunity to become to have the best record in CHL history, but like we saw, that kind of tailed off. But they were still a solid team. They didn't really show any signs of struggling. Yeah, they had a little bit of a hiccup against Saskatoon where the Blades led by Kirby Dock, who was going to be a top-five pick, made that series a little close for comfort. Edmonton, as resilient as they are, Made things a little interesting. We took a 2-1 series lead from the Raiders, but Prince Albert came back, won three straight. And then they met the Giants, the second-best team in the WHL, in the Edge North Cup Final. And Vancouver gave everything they had, took all the way to Game 7, where Dante Hanun, Hanun, excuse me, where Dante Hanun taps in a no-gregor pass back door, and the Prince Albert Raiders are going to the Memorial Cup for the first time in 34 years. That game was nuts. That game seven, That is what playoff hockey is like. That's a game seven for all time in junior hockey. Back and forth. Noah Gregor puts the Raiders on his back like he's done the second half of the season in the playoffs. For the most part, was incredible again. Gets two goals, an assist on the game winner. Dante Hannon, who we'll talk about here in just a second with the goal. The Raiders earned this championship. And I thought just the way that the second half went for the Raiders that someone was going to come in and knock them off. I thought the Blades may have had the best chance to do it. Oil Kings had them on the ropes for a second. But then I thought when they played Vancouver, the way the Giants were playing, I thought maybe. I gave the Raiders in seven, which, believe it or not, folks, I was right on a prediction. I thought the Giants had an honest chance to do it. But congratulations, kudos to the Giants for an incredible season out there. Haven't had. They are another team that has not had a contender in a certain amount of time, an extended period of time. So I expect good things for the Giants moving forward, but this Raiders team is the one we're talking about now, and it's a little bit unfamiliar territory for them, of course, like we said, first time in 34 years, but they do have an incredible offensive front. They have a four-headed monster, and it's led by Brett Leeson. Leeson, who had an incredible start to the regular season, Looked really good, but had, like I said, the World Junior hangover may have costed him a little bit. Kind of slowed down, didn't put up as many points. But he was able to find his touch in the playoffs, and that's where it matters most. That's where you cement your legacy. He's going to the draft this year once again. going to try a second time. And he's got a potential to be, I don't know if he's going to be a first-round pick or a second-round pick, but he's definitely going to get selected this year. He had 25 points, which led the Raiders in playoff scoring had nine points in both the second round and the finals against Vancouver. And he had three games throughout the playoffs where he scored three points or more. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does on this stage. Of course, when he played for Team Canada on the stacked lineup they had, he didn't get a whole lot of looks by 
coach Tim Hunter, which of course we have now we see Dale Hunter, who's going to be Team Canada's coach at next year's World Juniors, which is good. I am glad. Tim Hunter and I have some issues, so I'm glad Dale's going to be getting the opportunity there. So it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. But nonetheless, back to the story at hand here with the Raiders. Where Leeson kind of tail off at some point, Noel Gregor really stepped up. Finished right behind Leeson in team scoring in the regular season, but once again, finished behind Leeson in playoff scoring. But where Leeson, where, where points when Leeson was kind of slowing down, Gregor was able to step up in his place. And that's where the Raiders, I think, have an advantage over a lot of teams in the WHL and may have an opportunity here in this league. Now, yes, we talked about Rory Naranda when Abandonado went down. Joel Teasdale is able to step up in his place, along with other players as well. But Gregor is able to take the Raiders on his back when Leeson falls, when when he falls off his game, excuse me. I wouldn't say falls entirely, because he never really did this year. But Gregor's looked really good. The Beaumont, Alberta native, has shown his veteran leadership. He's been a big piece of this team. 24 points in the playoffs, a big series in the finals. He had, like I said, he had two goals and an assist in Game 7. He was well above a point per game. San Jose, I mean, they're in a good spot right now in the conference finals. We just talked about that earlier. But they have a prospect coming up in Gregor that could really make a difference. And he's been a very good two-way player. He's able to put the puck in the net, get the puck out of his own zone. Gregor's looked good. You got to like him. But, of course, Dante Hanun, the guy who scored the clinching, the championship clinching goal, Another overage center came over from Victoria. Was I, he wasn't the the most publicized trade at the trade deadline in the WHL, but was certainly a depth move that the Raiders needed if they wanted to make a deep playoff run. They could have easily ridden Leeson and Scott and Gregor, but they needed more, and that's why they got Hanun, and he's been a big part of this team here in the finals. He's he was able to put some put in some big goals during the playoffs. Scored fourteen goals. Did the Delta the Delta British Columbia native scored, which was most in the WHL. He has twenty four points, tied him with Gregor for third. Of course, right behind Brett Leeson for second on the team. That was third in the WHL. That is is twenty four points. He was big, but one of the surprising players, and better yet to say, up and coming players. Alexei Protas, who we talked about in a previous episode, in his rookie year, he's really done well here in these playoffs. Like we said, he only scored 40 points during the regular season, but he's almost he's cut the he's put over half of those points here in the playoffs. 22 points in this postseason. 15 of those points came in the final two series, in the conference final and the finals, and had a seven-point outing in the seven-game series against Vancouver, showing the maturity that he has and being able to play when it matters most, being able to produce when it matters most. You don't see many rookies in junior hockey do that. You'll occasionally see one or two guys make a, make some big plays here and there, but they won't put up 22 points and average a point a game in a postseason. It's a rarity you see that. Protests have been fortunate to play with some really talented players up front you still have to be able to get the puck in the net and be able to help and actually create plays himself. And Protoss has been able to do that. And that's why I think that having the rookie be able to step up gives the Raiders a little bit of an edge here coming in to this Memorial Cup. But of course, 
we would not be able to talk about the Raiders without talking about Canada's backup goaltender. No, I'm kidding. No, I won't do that to him. Ian Scott has been outstanding. Now, yes, he may not have had the greatest numbers during the regular season behind Dustin Wolf, who uh, should have gotten a better fair shake for the Del Wilson Memorial Trophy for goaltender of the year of the WHL. But Ian Scott has been good all season long. And on a team like the Raiders that doesn't necessarily have the biggest and best defense core compared to other teams in the league, and especially other teams here in this Memorial Cup final, Ian Scott has had to play some really big minutes for this team. He's made a lot of great saves. He, I still think he could have started maybe a game or two more in the, in the World Junior Championship, but Mikey DiPietro earned that right. But he's been outstanding. He had two shutouts in the series. I mean, his numbers, yeah, his overall numbers slowed down, but then again, the, all the Raiders did. We talked about the start they had. You don't win 26 of your first 27 without having amazing numbers. But he looked just so confident, so collected, had five shutouts in the entire playoffs, had a 1.96 goals against average, a 9.25 save percentage. He was exceptional when he needed to be. Yeah, there were a couple games here and there that he could have had one back here, could, but they, all goaltenders have that. Look at Martin Jones, for example. He's in the conference finals. Yes, I keep going back to San Jose. I apologize. Tangents, leave me be. Coffee's good this morning, guys even though it's 1.45 in the afternoon here in Michigan, but that's neither here nor there. Scott's been looking good, and once again, having a solid goaltender, having a good offense, it leads to junior hockey success, and the Raiders are looking to make their stamp, and they hope that he win this one because, I don't know, will it be another 34 years before the Raiders make it back? I don't know. Junior hockey's funny that way. Moving back to the central part, the central east part, if you will, of Canada, we talk about now the OHL champion, the Guelph Storm. Now, this team, I didn't even pick to make it out of the first round. Remember, folks, I said Kitchener was going to pull off the upset and beat the overconfident Storm team. Four games later, I was proven wrong. Ah, they're going to play the London Knights. Knights have too much. Five games for the Knights. Seven games later, I was wrong. Well, they're playing the Saginaw Spirit. Owen oh, Tippett, ah, his team's good. They're looking good. Ivan Provatel is playing well. Oh, wait a second. They're down... They're down 3-1. Well, I'm right once again. Oh, wait. They won in seven again. Well, they're going to play the Ottawa 6-7s. That team hasn't lost all postseason long. They're up to oh, Mikey DiPietro is hurt. And oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. The Storm did it again. The Storm are the most resilient junior hockey team I have seen in some time. Comparable to maybe the 2005 Ottawa 67s. This team has been resilient. Now, yes. I understand. Ivan Provatov getting suspended during the Saginaw series and Mikey DiPietro getting hurt in the finals. Did that help the Storm? Yes. But the 6-7s had Cedric Andre. He's been good all season. Didn't step up when he needed to. Storm, the Storm did, and they earned their spot here in the World Cup. You don't just come from behind each and every series, except for, of course, Kitchener, without having some battle-tested, comeback kids mentality and getting the job done. And this team, remember, they sold the farm to make a run for it. You don't get Nick Suzuki. You don't get Sean Dursey. You don't get Marcus Phillips at the deadline without giving up a, giving up a penny or two. Mackenzie Entwistle as well. Feder Gordiva on the back end. George Burnett, he put his job on the line here. This is a big move at a 
big time for this franchise. A team that hadn't made it to the Moral Cup since, yes, 2014. It was only five years ago, but haven't really been a contender since. They had a few overagers, Dmitry Samar- Samarukov, Isaac Ratcliffe, Nate Schnarr, to name a couple. They were a good, that was a good, talented team up front and around the lineup, but they needed more. So they brought in more, got, got rid of a lot of draft picks, a lot of young players that could have made an impact in the future because they want to win now. And despite still finishing fourth, it looked like it wasn't going to work. It looked like this team was done like dinner. They didn't have a chance. They were going to get swept by the London Knights. All that for nothing. But by golly, they came back and did it. They Against the Spirit. They're down 3-1. It's been a good run. But then they pull off three straight. They're playing the 67s, a team that had not lost all playoff long. But by golly, they came back and did it. Resiliency is key. And of course, there's obviously talented players that will get the job done too. It's not just pure luck by this Guelph team. Yes, a little bit helps here and there, but you got to be good to lucky, good to be lucky, lucky to be good. And this storm has this storm team has been that way throughout this postseason. And including starting up front, blue line depth has been important. Marcus Phillips and Sean Dersey getting added to the lineup has been huge. Marcus Phillips, while he didn't put up a whole lot of big numbers, didn't have the greatest plus minus, but he was playing against top lines every single night. Sean Dersey, though, he was really good. 24 playoff games, had a, the third best plus minus in the playoffs with a plus 16, had 27 points in the postseason, 24 of which were assists, which was second among all OHLers behind Nick Suzuki. But of course, like I said, you have Sam Arukov, who had 45 points and a plus minus of 36 during the regular season. And then in the playoffs, put up 28 points and finished with a plus 18 rating. Edmonton Oilers, I said it the last time we talked about the CHL playoffs a couple weeks ago, he's been a solid defenseman. He's going to be a big part of the Oilers' future here if he's able to develop properly. And with maybe with Ken Holland, he may be the guy. But of course, we'd be mistaken if we did not talk about the play of the OHL playoff MVP, Nick Suzuki. In what is probably going to be his last year in junior hockey, because the Canadians would be dumb, the Montreal Canadiens I speak of, would be dumb to not give this guy an honest look in training camp next fall. He scored 45 points in the first 30 games with Owen Sound, gets traded at the deadline, and he even had a better second half where he put 49 points in the final 29 games. And in the playoffs, he just says, you know what, I'm going to be the best player I can be. He only he was only held off the score sheet three times during the playoffs, and it was twice in the second round series against the London Knights, early on in that series when London was dominating the Guelph Storm. Suzuki ended the playoffs in 24 games with 42 points. Do you want to know how big of a gap that is? Sasha Chimlevsky of the Ottawa 67s finished second in playoff scoring with 31. Isaac Ratcliffe, who was second on the team in scoring for the Storm, had 30 points. Suzuki, who I'll be honest with you, kind of looked a little sluggish when he first came, but like I said, picked it up in the set, towards the end of the season, kind of like how Brett Leeson did when he came back from the World Juniors with Prince Albert. Suzuki has just been outstanding. He had 12 multi-point games. He was consistent. He was on the score sheet every night. He was able to make a big play. 13 points. Remember where I said he had he was held off the score sheet twice against London? He had 13 points at the end of that series. When the Storm needed him to step up, 
He did. Nick Suzuki may may not have led the league in scoring, may not have been the top dog for the Storm at some points when he came on board, but in these playoffs, he earned that playoff MVP. He earned the right to be said, this guy is a top junior hockey player. He's going to be a big player in Montreal. He's going to... He's, he could turn heads. And I don't know if he's in, I'm not saying Calder worthy yet. It's a little early for that. But in terms of right now, saying that he could make the Habs roster next year, that is almost a given. Now talking about this Memorial Cup, a big stage, big moments. The team will need it. Hey, Suzuki, this is his MO. That's been all, and all, all postseason long. Now, yes, talking about how this team has been resilient, you have to be honest when you look at this. The Storm have been great all year, all playoffs, except for the first few games of every series, it seems like. That said, can the Storm do it? This is not a, the way that this tournament is, the round-robin format. You cannot fall behind 2-0 or 2-1 or whatever, 3-1, because it's a, you have three games. Three games to have an opportunity to go to the semis or even force a tiebreaker or whatnot. Uh, you got to love the comeback kids mentality this team has had and the Cinderella run they put on. But can they honestly do it in this kind of a tournament? That is the biggest question of all for this Storm team. They are good. They have skill. But I'm not sure if I can honestly tell you folks right now if they can pull this off because it only seemed like they're able to put together wins if they're if they fall behind. Now, if yes, if you lose that first game, well, you're right. You're probably going to try to come back pretty quick. But in terms of the way they've been able to come back, they've lost two and able to come off with three or four straight. Listen, you can't do that in this kind of format. That may be the weakness of the Storm team. Now, yes, they come out opening night, their first game, they'll come out flying hard. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting battle. That's going to be an interesting game, an interesting set of games for this team. Because, like I said, they haven't really started a series strong at all, like I said, except that Kitchener series back in round one. So I like the Storm. I like the way they've played, the way they've battled. But will clock strike midnight here on the Storm? That is going to be the big question. Now moving to the host of this year's Memorial Cup, the Halifax Mooseheads. Now where some teams in the past have, like I said, lost early on in the playoffs and Kind of just only reason why they were there in the World Cup is because they were the host. The Mooseheads are a team that has vividly earned the right to be here. Now, yes, they lost their league championship, but they were good enough to make it to the finals, which makes them, which made them, I mean, they were a contender. Yes, that series against Quebec gave an honest scare to them. But after that, they bunkered down. They beat a really good Drummondville team to get to the finals. They met a dominant Huskies team that they gave everything they had. Eventually, yes, losing in six, but nonetheless competing against the Huskies. They were the third best team in the regular season. This is not a slouch team in this Memorial Cup. This is not a slouch host. This is not a, a team that only got there, like you said, because they ha- they were the host team. It's, they, they earned their spot here. Had they not played the Huskies in the finals, who knows? They may have won it all. They may have been... One of those teams that hosts and wins their title, which gives the runner-up the opportunity to come in. But they earned their right here, and 
there's a lot of good players on this team that have made sure or have been the reason why that this team is a contender. Raphael Lavoie being the head of this moose. Get it? Because they're moose heads. Okay, never mind. All right. Moose had great beer, cheap beer too. Well, I don't know. Folks from Canada, if, if you guys can just drive down the local LCBO for me and uh, let me know if it's still on sale because it was on sale for all two years I was in luck now. So I just want to know if it's on sale because I'm going to Toronto uh, next month. So I may need some uh, need some stuff to go get. Maybe maybe some good old hometown brews. We'll see. But talking about Lavoie, though, the real moose head, the, the top dog, he only had 73 points which was by, far behind Samuel S. Ellen's 86 during the regular season. But in the playoffs, he has been good. Very good. This guy has really turned... He was like looking at maybe a second or third round draft pick hovering around that area. His performance in this postseason has definitely given him the right to say that he could be a first round pick. He's played in big moments, especially in this playoffs, late in the playoffs as well. He had 32 points in 23 games, which led the QMJHL in playoff scoring. 20 goals were the most in the playoffs as well. Had six goals in the four-game sweep against Moncton back in round two. And he's just getting more confident and confident. And yes, he didn't put up biggest numbers against the Huskies, but look at the Huskies' defense. Look at the Huskies' goaltender. It's definitely tough to score against Ryan Aranda. That said, though, Lavoie has been able to show that he can be a big-time player. He's looked really good. He's been very confident. And that has really spread out throughout the entire lineup. Arno Durando has been, played exceptionally well. He had a good... A dis, when Lavoie didn't play the biggest against the Huskies, the Islanders prospect was able to put seven points up against Roy Durando, three of which being goals. He had 20 points in the playoffs, which was tied for second on the team. Tied with Maxim Trapanier. We talked about him a couple episodes ago in my Puck 77 articles. He had a career-best 47 points in the regular season. And in the playoffs, he was extremely active, looked really good. It's helped be able to set up the offense. was a big playmaker for the Mooseheads. 20 points, like we said, 14 of which being assist, which was tied for fifth among the playoffs with Alexis Lafreniere as well, being one of the names he was tied with. But having the guy, especially down the wing, down the middle, that are able to help out, because you can't just have one guy do it all by himself. I mean, there have been some teams that have been able to be led by one player. I talk about Justin Brzeau of the North Bay Battalion. He was he had the most goals in the entire OHL, but the rest of the team was not so good, and that's why they got out in the first round. But they only got there because of the player Brzeau. Now, Lavoie, maybe the way he's been playing, it almost seems like it's a one-headed monster, but there have been other guys. And like we said, Samuel Asellan led the team in points during the regular season, but playoffs didn't have the biggest numbers. But then again, like I said, you have Lavoie and other guys. You didn't, he didn't have to be the biggest scorer. Had 17 points, respectable numbers. But when you're going up against the, especially that late in the playoffs, the best teams, the best teams defense, the best teams forwards, you're going to have to change up your role and change your game. And, and Asellan was able to do that. So I like the way he played. Like I said, he's going to have to step up in this Memorial Cup, though, because, like I said, going up against the best teams in the CHL that are left, you need all your horses in a row because if you don't, you're going to get burned because it can't just be Lavoie. It can't just be Durando and Trapanier. You're going to need Eslin to have a better series and a better set of games. So we'll see how he does there. But 
Another part is for this Mooseheads attack has been the defense as well. Similar to how the Huskies have been, they had their defense picking up on the back end. Jake Razik, who's been one of the guys too, had a plus five during the playoffs. 13 assists, didn't score any goals, but nonetheless, he had 13 points, five in the semifinal against the Voltaguer. And this is only after he only had 24, 24 assists all season long. So he's really been a big part on the back end, really matured. This is being his second season, of course, with the Mooseheads. Got drafted by Chicago before he came up to Halifax, but he's a much more deterred defenseman this year. Justin Barron, hometown boy from Nova Scotia, playing in front of his home crowd now in the, probably the biggest moment of the season. Biggest moment of his junior career, that is. This only being his second year as well. He's a much more confident defend, defender on the back end. And with that, when you're able to settle down and play good defense, you're able to turn defense into offense. Scored 41 points in the regular season, which was 20 more than when he scored in his rookie season. He was able to get two goals and 11 assists for 13 points in the playoffs. He had five points against Quebec in the opening round, which was his best series of the playoffs. But that said, having Baron Rizek tied for fifth in defenseman scoring in these playoffs has been huge because they've been solid on their back end. They've really helped out Alexis Greville when he's needed to be helped out. They've been able to show that their maturity has gotten better and having a deeper defense core Having a good deep defense core is important, and it's, I don't want to say a rarity in junior hockey, but it's not like you see it in each and every lineup. That's why the Mooseheads have been able to get here. They're able to get timely scoring up front, and their defense has been solid at times. They've had, there have been some times when Alexis Gravel and the defense have really had to bail the team out, and having the two younger guys step up has been huge. Now, of course, having the veteran Jared McIsaac up there, that's pretty good too. Another Nova Scotia product from Truro. I mean, he, there's a reason why he's the number one defenseman for the Mooseheads for the last couple of years. He is solid in his own end, but can go down the other end and help set up help the offense out. He went up against a very tough defense team in the Huskies in the finals. However, he still was able to get six points in the series, all of which being assists. And once again, when he goes in the Memorial Cup... He's going to have to play big minutes, have to play against the top lines. He's going to have to go up against Brett Leeson and Noah Gregor from Prince Albert. He's going to have to go up once again against Abandonado and Teasdale from Moraine Naranda. They play Guelph. You expect him to be watching Nick Suzuki like a hawk. There's going to be a lot to be expected of Jared McIsaac in this series, or in this set of games, excuse me. I keep saying series because, well, it's the playoffs, and I keep so used to that, even though this is such a unique tournament. It's going to be important here. Halifax has the home ice advantage, of course. And they've they've been dominant at home, too. It's not like they're hosts and, you know, oh, will the home crowd be there? Oh, they'll be there. They will be there. They were 25-5-4 at home during the regular season and went 8-3-1 in the postseason at Scotiabank Center. They're going to have to ride that in this tournament. They're going to have to be big, and they're going to look to try to emulate what Nathan McKinnon and Jonathan Duran and Marty Furk and Zach Fucali did back in 2013 when they won the Memorial Cup. So now with all the four teams, it's, it's important to look at how we're going to predict this tournament to go by looking at each game. It's not like you can just say early on, oh, well, you know, because especially when you have the NHL playoffs, you have the series by series by series. 
Well, this is a round robin format. Each team, for those that for those that do not understand this tournament, you play one game against each team. That's it. Now, fortunately for the Huskies and the Mooseheads, I don't know if since the Huskies are a Quebec team, they're going to honor that, but they're the only two teams that do not have to play on back-to-back nights. The Raiders and Guelph both do. So let's quick look here at the schedule and kind of analyze the games. I don't say predict the games, but yeah, you know what? We'll do some predictions for these games as well. You have Halifax and Prince Albert going tomorrow night. It's 8 o'clock Atlantic time, 7 o'clock Eastern time, 4 o'clock Pacific time. Halifax and Prince Albert. Now, yes, the Raiders have the goaltending advantage, but that first night, crowds jacked up, first tournament, all the festivities going on. It's going to be a different game for both teams. you got to expect the Mooseheads to ride the home crowd for that first night. I believe they'll get the win there. The next night will be the Huskies versus Guelph. Two offensive juggernauts going head-to-head. Folks, we're going to see 10, 20, 30 goals scored in that game. Okay, maybe not 30 goals, but you'll see a lot of scoring. I don't. Yes, you'll have Samuel Harvey on one end, but then you're going up against Nick Suzuki and his band of merry men. You gotta like the way the storm will be. You think they're gonna? You gotta know that they're gonna come out hard because they know they can't fall behind. That said, though, I think, like I said, Samuel Harvey will shut the door when he needs to. He'll make a big save probably towards the end of the game. Huskies will get the win there. The problem is for the storm is that they have to go back the next night. Thankfully for them, they're playing at a three thirty Eastern time start. On Saturday, they're back at 7 o'clock on Sunday, 8 o'clock local time and Atlantic time in the Maritimes. So they have a little bit of time or almost 24-hour window to get rested, but they're right back at it against the Mooseheads the next night, who, like I said, will be rested, and that'll be tough for Guelph. That'll be tough as they, I mean, you never know how that game's going to go, but you got to think the Mooseheads will have a little bit more juice in the tank, and Guelph will have a real tough time against the Huskies the night before, which is why I think Halifax will get the win there. The next night will be Roy Naranda versus Prince Albert. And boy, oh boy, where you see the Huskies and Guelph could be a mass murderer and a gong show and a barn burner, 20 goals. This game may have two. I'll be honest with you. You have Samuel Harvey on one end, Ian Scott on the other. And I'm not talking about because it's the Quebec League and the Western League. I'm talking because these two goaltenders are going to go head-to-head. This is arguably one of the best matchups to watch in terms of goaltending. This is comparable to Uka Pekalukinen and Mikey DiPietro in the World Junior Tournament, not the OHL playoffs. We went by that already. you got to think that Prince Albert, I mean, Ian Scott can steal a game, and I think since he knows that he's going such against, against such a dominant team, yes, he's been the favorite all year with Prince Albert, but I think he comes out with a banger of a game. He's going to come out outstanding. He's going to come out focused, calm, cool, collected, He's going to get enthralled about 45 to 50 shots, but somehow Ian Scott will steal that game. Prince Albert gets the win. The next night, though, they go up against the Storm, and that's no 24-hour thing. That'll be another 7 o'clock to 7 o'clock start. That'll be on Tuesday. That will be the game I think the Storm will get because they'll have two days off. Or excuse me, not two days off. They'll have a day off in between their last game against Halifax and their game against Prince Albert, which I think gives them an advantage because they have the day of rest. Their offense will be clicking. They're obviously going to try to bounce back after a tough loss against the Mooseheads. Raiders lose that one. Guelph gets their win, which leads to a matchup, the final game of the round robin, the President's Cup final rematch between the Mooseheads and the Huskies. I am sorry. Huskies do it again. They win. It may be a close game. It'll be another tight one, just like it wasn't during the, during the series. But Huskies get the job done. So that means, if you've been following along, 
both Ray Naranda and Halifax will go two and one in the round robin. However, since the Huskies beat the Mooseheads in the head-to-head, Huskies get the automatic bid to the final. Halifax gets relegated to the semifinal. But since both Prince Albert and Guelph win a game, they will play in a tiebreaker. Back and forth, that game will go. Prince Albert a little more rested. Both teams will have the day off before the tiebreaker, which I believe will give the Raiders a clear advantage. The offense will be more rested. I think goaltending-wise, Scott definitely outplays Anthony Popovich, hands down. Raiders get the win. Guelph, Cinderella season was great. Ends though a little early for you. Raiders then will have to go the next night against Halifax. Halifax, just like Regina did last year. Home crowd on their side. Place going nuts. Prince Albert playing the night before. Halifax will take advantage of it. They get the win. Setting up another rematch of the President's Cup Final between the Huskies and the Mooseheads. It's going to be a classic game. Back and forth. Away they go. Somehow the Huskies, though, get the goal in the end. They beat the Mooseheads in the UMJHL Finals. They beat them in the round robin of this tournament. Then they win in the final. And finally, after three, year, three years ago of being so close to winning their first, they finally get their first ever Memorial Cup victory by beating the Mooseheads. And congratulations, Samuel. Okay, I'm not going to give all the congratulations now, but this is a kind of a tournament where dumb things will happen. For example, last year, Swift Current and Regina. Two teams that everyone, I thought that was going to be the final. I didn't think Hamilton had enough, and I sure as heck did not think Acadie Bathurst Teton had an opportunity to get there. But Noah Dobson and uh, Mitchell Balmas, they played big roles for the Teton. Got them into the final straight up. They beat Regina despite being on home ice. Hamilton did much better. Swift Current didn't do a darn thing. And Bathurst was able to win, a team that nobody expected to win. So maybe Guelph will come away with the win. I'm not thinking Guelph can because I just look at the schedule and I'm trying to think of how these games will go. Now, yes, anything can happen in the Memorial Cup. Guelph could win all three games. Prince Albert could win all three games. The Huskies may win none. Mooseheads may win none. Who knows? But just on paper, that's what we're going to go with here. So, my pick, of course, the Ryan Naranda Huskies beating the Mooseheads in the final. This is a tournament where the Stars have the ability to shine for maybe one more time, maybe bump up their draft stock, bump up their chances of making the NHL the following season, overagers get one last chance at junior hockey glory, and guys that kind of sit in the wings and aren't big players during the regular season or even the playoffs have an opportunity to step up and become legends of the CHL. It's going to be another exciting tournament. I have enjoyed covering the CHL for both here on the show and for Puck 77. This is kind of like the climax of my season, if you will, professionally. I've enjoyed talking about it. I've enjoyed writing about it. I've enjoyed watching it. And if this tournament has anything to show, this could be one of the best Memorial Cups we've seen in recent memory. I don't know if it'll be the best, but it'll be a fun one to watch. Thank you guys once again for listening to this special episode of the Kiel Podcast. Be sure to tweet us at the Kiel Podcast. Tweet me and tell me who you think is going to win the Memorial Cup of the Mooseheads, of the Huskies, of the Raiders, and the Storm. It's all up in the air. Who knows who will actually win? My guess is as good as yours. Thank you once again, folks, for listening to another special episode of the Kiel Podcast. We will see you next time.